Amen. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we're at today, looking at uh, what has uh, been called the love chapter, read at many, many weddings and all sorts of different events. It truly is one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. But my challenge for us this morning is simply this, that, that we be careful lest we allow our familiarity with this passage keep us from actually hearing and heeding the depth of what God actually desires for us here. What we find in 1 Corinthians 13 is a depiction of godly Christian love. We need to understand this. Because when it comes to love, it seems like nothing in our society is more deified or more deluded. We, we have more songs about love than I think we have just about anything else. And yet, we really don't understand in our society what love is. I think part of the issue we run into is our culture possesses one word, love, and we use it in many broad and varied ways. For instance, I might say, uh, okay... I will say I love my spouse, okay? I will say I love my kids. I say I love Jesus. I say I love the church. I, I say I love my neighbors. You might say you love your dog or your cat. We might all say we love ice cream. The nature of those loves are not the same. I might be on a sports team and after a tough game say I love you, man. But the I love you man for the buddy on my sports team is not the same I love you for the lady right there. The I love you ice cream is not the same I love you as kids. And, and by the way, what we find here in 1 Corinthians 13, a, a depiction of Christian godly love it is a distinct love. So it is not a couple of things, and I want to point these out. First of all, it's not romantic love. It's not that physical, sensual feeling within. Christian love in 1 Corinthians 13 it is not the romantic love that would be felt between a husband and a wife. It's also not brotherly love, or a compatibility, a similarity. We share some interests and we share some direction. And so while brotherly love is good, brotherly love is not what we are seeing here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's also not family love, a love that might be felt between siblings or cousins or, or aunts and uncles. It's, it's not that kind of love at all. I love the description of family. It's often been likened to fudge, that family is like fudge because it is sweet, although it usually comes with a few nuts, right? And uh, that is never more clear than during the holidays. But what we're studying over the next couple of weeks is, is not romantic love, it's not brotherly love, it's not family love. No, it is Christian love. It is God's love. It is, the Greek word here is agape love, and it's different. Let me give you a definition of godly love or of Christian love, agape love. It is the willing, sacrificial, unconditional giving of oneself for the benefit or best of others without thought of return. It is the willing, sacrificial, unconditional giving of oneself for the benefit or best of others without thought or return of return. Now, 
I'll remind you as we get into the chapter this morning that we can't uh, divorce it from its context. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is it comes, believe it or not, right in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which are all about what? All about spiritual gifts and how the church works. So in other words, Christian life and church life must be filled with Christian love in order for it to work. By the way, it was God's love that changed my world. It was God's love that changed your world. And it will be godly love that changes the lives we live and the lives of people around us. So let's consider this morning, where's the love? 1 Corinthians 13. Let's begin verses 1 through 3. Here Paul writes, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... And have not charity, that word charity is the word for love, and have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned... And have not charity and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. This morning as we look at Christian love, number one, we have to understand the demand for Christian love. The demand for Christian love. Paul here in the first three verses, he paints a picture of extremes with hyperbole. Hyperbole is is a literary device. It's where you use extreme exaggeration, which is not meant to be taken literally, but it is meant to make a point. How many of you have have ever been told, uh, boy, you do that again, and I'm going to hit you so hard, your grandkids are going to feel it? (laughs) Many of you in the generation ahead of me have probably heard that. Maybe even used it. Now, that's not meant to be taken literally. When the grandkids were born, grandpa didn't show up wondering where the bruise was, right? It's an extreme exaggeration meant to do what? Make a point. You ever told somebody, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? If they had shown up with a horse, you'd have been disappointed, right? It wasn't meant to be taken literally. It was an extreme exaggeration in order to make a point. And so Paul here lists extremes, exaggerations of of spiritual gifts in church work and service. And it's not necessarily meant to be taken literally, but it's meant to to make a point. So he says here, speak with the tongues of men and of angels. The idea that we can speak heavenly languages is not something that the Bible teaches us that we should be doing or expect to do. That we should understand all prophecy and all mystery, that we can move mountains is not something that we necessarily are led to believe anywhere in Scripture. It is something that that we are capable of doing, even giving our bodies to be burned, giving everything to the poor. It's not meant necessarily to be taken literally, but it is meant to make a point. And the point is this, that the greatest, most extreme spiritual gifts and spiritual service is empty and worthless without love. 
You could be the greatest singer to ever walk the face of the earth, but spiritually it is empty without love. You could be the best giver in all the world. God has given you millions and billions and you give it all away, but it is empty without love. You could be the smartest man to ever grace this church, but all of your knowledge and all of your understanding and all of your capacity to teach and, and wow people with knowledge is empty and even worthless without love. The demand for Christian love. We're reminded right from the outset this morning that the most gifted church is empty without Christian love. It is empty, 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 empty. 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 5 reminds us the end, the point, the meaning, the goal of the commandment is what? Is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. The most gifted church is empty without Christian love. The most well-to-do home, family, and marriage is empty without Christian love. Proverbs 15 and verse 17 reminds us of this. Better is a dinner of herbs, that means vegetables, where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. You know, the Bible tells us that, that it is better to be in a home where all you get to eat is vegetables, but you get to eat it in love than to have the choicest of steak. I like steak, amen? amen. Can I get an amen? amen? How many of you like it rare? You like it to still be mooing on your plate. Amen. Deacons take names. We got a business meeting coming up, and we need to deal with some heretics. They put their hands down too quick. All right. I like me some steak, though. But isn't that the truth? To have the best food, the most money, the most cars, the best of everything in this life, and to not have it with love, it's empty. It's empty. It's empty. Better is a dinner of vegetables where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. The most gifted church is empty without Christian love. The most well-to-do home and family and marriage is empty without this love. The most incredible Christian life is empty without this. Why? Because love is the point that makes it possible. It was God's love for us, amen? And that's what God desires in return. Do you remember when Jesus was questioned and he was asked what the greatest commandment was? What was his response? Matthew 22. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And he even gave them extra stuff, right? And the, this is the first and great commandment and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Really, on those two commandments, hang all of the law and the prophets. If we can get those two things down, guess what? Everything else falls into place. The formula is simple. Everything minus love equals nothing. Everything minus love equals nothing. Christian love. Godly love, Christ-like love, is the one essential factor that must be in place if the conclusion is not going to be zero in the end. 
But I'm going to tell you, that encourages me. You know why? Because everything minus love equals nothing, but what I see here from Paul is that even the smallest thing plus love in God's hands can equal everything. That I don't have to be the smartest. That I don't have to be the most gifted orator. That I don't have to be the wealthiest. That I don't have to have all of these grand and grandiose gifts. No, I just have to take what I have and use it with love. And that equals everything. Amen? The demand, the demand, the demand for Christian love. So now we see the demand for Christian love. Paul then moves on to give us a description of Christian love. Look with me at verses 4 through 6. Actually, read it in unison with me. It's so good. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. All right, now we're going to pause here, and I'm going to tell you from the outset, we're going to look at this, I'm going to be challenged by this, I'm going to be convicted by this, because you know what, when I really start breaking down what Christian love is, what godly Christ-like love is, I realize how frail my own love is. Right? So, so I'm going to be challenged by this. I'm going to be convicted by this. But we have to see what love is. Love here is described by Paul in terms of what it does and doesn't do. I want to point out that, that Christian love, Christ-like love, godly love is not a feeling. It's not something that, that wells up inside that, that I have to have in here and have those warm fuzzies attached. That's not what Christian love is. Christian love is not defined so much uh, by how it feels, but rather how it functions. Love is not a feeling. It's not a force at work. Love is a definable, describable thing that is discernible by its actions. By the way, church, as we talk about what love is... You don't get to define what Christ-like love looks like. That's not up to you. You don't get to define what Christ-like love looks like. By the way, culture doesn't get to define it either. Well, if you were a Christian, you don't get to define what love looks like. Who gets to define what love looks like? God does. You know why? 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, because God is love. Amen? And so God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Therefore, we understand that, that God is not defined by our perception of love, that God ought to define our perception of love. His person, his character, gets to define what this love is is. So therefore, we have to understand that that love is not open uh, for, for debate. Love is determined by the character and conduct of our Father in heaven. And that's important because there are a lot of things in this world that are called love that are evil. Amen. That's, right. that's not love. 
A lot of things in this world that are called love that are empty. But this morning, we have to understand the kind of love that we need. I want you to notice a couple of things about Christian love. Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Simply put this way, Christian love is helpful. Christian love is helpful. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, the Bible says, uh, we, well, actually, we defined it earlier that love is what? It is the willing, sacrificial, unconditional giving of oneself for the benefit or best of others. Look at the description. Bible says it suffers long. That means love is patient. That it's willing to be inconvenienced. That it's willing to take slight. That it is willing to be a slow-burning thing. Boy, I'm glad God loves us that way, amen? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, we find what? That God is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But He's what? He is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm glad I'm not God, because I'd have lost patience with humanity a long time ago, Amen? But God is what? He is long-suffering. He is patient, not willing that any should perish. Love suffers long. It's patient, willing to be inconvenienced, willing to take slight. Love is not vengeful. Love is also kind. If patience takes, kindness gives. That word kind can also be translated or understood easy. Meaning this, living love means that others' lives are easier because I'm in it. Others' lives are easier because I'm in it. I think one of the most beautiful applications here is that of the home. What if we just stopped right there and said love is patient and love is kind? Boy, that would transform our homes alone, wouldn't it? That, that love, because I love my wife, because I love my kids, because I love my family, I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I'm willing to take slight. I'm willing to take initiative to make sure that the lives of people around me are easier. Why? Because I love them. Love, Christian love, is helpful. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14 reminds us of this truth. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient towards who? Mm. Who? 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 Oh, come on, church. Be patient towards who? All men. Hmm. How many of us, God has blessed you with someone or someones in your lives who try your patience? Can I get an amen? Nobody like that for you? Oh, me. But the Bible says be patient towards all men. By the way, chances are there will typically always be someone or something in your life to try your patience. But maybe the thing to do would be to show them the patience of love. Because I'm going to tell you, chances are nobody else is. Matthew 5 and verse 44 reminds us the extent that we should extend this to. But I say unto you, this is Jesus, by the way. He said what, church? He said, love your enemies. Hmm. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Christian 
Love is helpful. Aren't you glad God loved us that way? Aren't you glad God still loves us that way? So we see Christian love is helpful, but look what else Paul says. That charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. So we have here a description that not only is Christian love helpful, but Christian love is also humble. Christian love is humble. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't vault self. It doesn't brag. It isn't braggadocious. It isn't puffed up or or self-inflating. This is why we define love as the willing, sacrificial, unconditional, giving of oneself for the benefit or best of others. That's the helpful part, amen? Without thought of return. That's the humble part. You know, love doesn't live for self. It's not about me. You know, that thing about love not being envying, it means that living in love means that I will be happy for your blessings. You think about the destruction that jealousy causes. King Saul was a jealous man, jealous of David, and jealousy destroyed King Saul, destroyed him and his family. How often Christians look at the blessings of other Christians and and think, well, must be nice. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's not loving. Because living in love means that I am happy for your blessings. Living in love means that I want to build up, to edify, to prefer others before myself. Ephesians 4 and verse 16 reminds us, from whom the whole body, speaking of, again, this is that context of the, the body of Christ, the church and the spiritual gifts, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. That means we're all working together to build it up making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Means living in love means that it's not about me. It's about lifting up and building up others before myself. You know, when jealousy enters, love leaves. By the way, we could also say when pride enters, love leaves. When we want to be braggadocious, when we want to puff ourselves up. When pride enters, love leaves. You know, you think about pride. Pride lifts up self and looks down on others. It's easy in our world to look down on others. Maybe they're different. Maybe they're downtrodden. Maybe they're bound by by, by some burden or sin or stronghold. Maybe their lives are just not, not where we think they ought to be. And in pride, it's easy to look down our sanctified noses and push up our sanctified glasses and, 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 and think in our hearts, oh, as the Pharisee did, Lord, thank you that I am not as they are. Pride looks down on others. But you know what love does? Love looks to pick others up. Isn't that what God did for us? We sang about it. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea 
heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. What is it, church? Love lifted me. Aren't you glad God didn't look down his sanctified nose at you? Mm-mm. That Mike. <sighs> He's getting what he deserves, to be quite honest. Him and those Cleveland Browns getting every bit of what they deserve. Now, what happened? When we cry out to the Lord, what does He do? In love, He lifts us up. By the way, there are people all around us who need to get lifted up by God's love too. You see, when pride enters, love leaves. Pride looks down on others, but love looks to pick others up. This is what God does for us, amen? I'm so glad God loves us this way. Christian love is helpful. It's patient. It's kind. Christian love is humble. It doesn't envy. It doesn't puff itself up or brag on itself. I want you to notice as well, the Bible says not only is Christian love helpful and Christian love humble, but Christian love is also holy. Verse 5 says, Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And so this makes sense. Christian love is helpful. Christian love is humble. Christian love is holy. And it has to be holy because it is God's love. Amen? And He is holy. It has to be holy because it is the flow of God's love for us through us, and therefore it will reflect God's character. So very clearly here, love does not behave itself unseemly. That's a polite way of saying love's not rude. How many people that think they're being, lo- they're being loving enough to give them the truth, and you're actually just being a rude jerk? Love's not rude. Love's not crude. It does not behave itself unseemly. Love is a gentleman and a gentlewoman. It is polite. Love is not easily provoked. You know what that means? That means love is not explosive in anger. Have people tell me from time to time, well, preacher, it's just, it's just the way I am. I, 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 I take it and then I blow up like a bomb. But... And eh, then it's over and we just move on. You know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We just blow up and then we move on. Hmm. You see, we forget when a bomb blows up, it may be over quick, but the collateral damage lasts a long time. Love doesn't operate this way. It's not unseemly. It's, it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's not easily provoked. It's not explosive. Love thinketh no evil. Now that's an accounting term, meaning that love doesn't take account of wrongs. Meaning love doesn't gunny sack. That's a fancy term for like, if you've got like the list of things that people have done you wrong for, you know, sometimes you do marriage counseling, and, and, and well, what's the issue? Well, back in 1973, on our honeymoon, <laughs> blink, 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 we know we're in for it, right? It's easy to store wrongs. Well, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. She didn't do that. He blah, 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 blah. And we carry him around with us, don't we? 
That's not what love does. Love doesn't keep an account of wrongs done against them. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to us? Aren't you glad that God loves us so much? Revelation 1 and verse 5, becoming one of my favorite verses. Revelation 1, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Look what it says. Unto him that what? Loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He washed them away. In Hebrews chapter number uh, 8 and verse number 12, the Lord says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, does that mean God has amnesia? It doesn't mean God has amnesia, but it means that God removes them from the account. They're no longer held against us. They're gone as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the depths of the deepest sea. Though they were as scarlet, they are white as snow. Amen. 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 That's what love does. That's what love does. Some of us, you've had something stuck in your crawl for a decade now. You know, God in his love wants to help you fix that so that you can truly love as you ought. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh or takes account of no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. Hmm. Love doesn't rejoice in evil. You know, I think sometimes in churches, one of the biggest issues that we have, and it's a subtle issue, but it is a big issue, is the old gossip train. The old gossip train. Did you hear what happened to sister so-and-so? I heard the police were there. Did you know... That brother so-and-so, such-and-such, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, I mean we, we should pray for that. We should, come on, let's go find somebody else to pray with us. <laughs> and we mask the gossip train as prayer requests and this and that. But really, oh, really, our flesh loves the, the down and dirty, doesn't it? But that's not what love does. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Let me tell you this. Sometimes it's not the gossip train. It's the fall of others. And we see, oh, I knew they were a bad egg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be sure your sin will find you out. And we love to see the fall of others. Whether it be a uh, a pastor or another Christian or maybe even a politician. And oh, ho, 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 yes, they're getting what's coming. Isn't it amazing how we tend to always want grace for ourselves and justice for others? Hmm. But that's not how love operates. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it does rejoice in the truth. Amen? Amen. By the way, what is the truth? Well, truth 
is our God-given reality. Truth is that there is a God-given right and wrong. I'm going to tell you, love cannot go against the truth and still be love. This is why, and, and, and we'll, go, we'll mention this because it's so prevalent in our society. People say, well, love is love, and, and love is affirming, and love is this. No, no, <laughs> love is not whatever we want it to be, and love is not always affirming. Because love seeks what is best, not what feels good. And so, no, it is not love to promote somebody's gender confusion and delusion. It is not love to use somebody's preferred pronouns because that is not truth. Love rejoices in the truth. There is a God-given reality and there is a God-given right and there is a God-given wrong. Now, let me, let me give you the positive end of that. That's the negative end of that. But the positive end of it, and we'll touch on it more in a minute, as I'm going to tell you, uh, there, there, are, there are good things that God is doing through His people all over the place that we ought to rejoice in. I tell you what, I rejoice in the service and the work that, that this church family does. I think I mentioned Miss Sue and her crew. What a beautiful job they did, amen? I think of Miss Lynn Heiser and her crew that helped with the, the senior ladies' lunch. What a beautiful thing that was. We could go on and on and on about people who are, who are doing wonderful things for the cause of Christ. You know, as parents, sometimes we need to stop. It's easy to always point out the wrong, isn't it? Like, man, what were you thinking? Come on, man. You're better than that. I know you can. Oh, if only. Why aren't you? Why haven't you? Where are we? And, and, and if we're not careful, that's all we do, right? How about we rejoice in the truth a little bit? Hey, man, I saw that. That's awesome. I want you to know I am so pleased with that. And that, was, that brought glory to God. Thank you. What a wonderful thing you did. Hey, I know that didn't turn out how you wanted, but I saw you tried your best, and I saw you did. I mean, sometimes as parents, we need to get off the negative, and we need to what? We need to rejoice in the truth. Why? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. Aren't you glad God doesn't nitpick us? Oh, man. If God nitpicked us, oh, isn't that, that's, that's a discouraging thought. But he loves us. Christian love is helpful, amen. amen? Christian love is humble. Christian love is holy. We've seen the demand for Christian love, that everything minus love is nothing. We've seen a description of Christian love, but I want you to see one other verse, verse 7. Speaking of love, it says, read it with me, actually. It says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. I want you to see finally this morning, church, the durability of Christian love. God's love doesn't fail. Romantic love fails. Family love can fail. Brotherly love can fail. But Christian love does not. Let me give you these descriptions here. First, Paul says it bears all things. 
That word bears, it means a willingness to cover or to carry. And so love here is willing to cover others. Love here is willing to carry the burden for others, and it doesn't break. You know, men here, I'm going to make an application uh, here specifically to our men, to our husbands, and to our fathers. Men, part of the love that you have for your family ought to be that you are willing to carry the burden for your family and not break. And by the way, that's more than bringing home a paycheck. You are willing to bear the burden so that your sweet wife doesn't have to. You are willing to bear the burden to help bring up your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Love bears all things. It's willing to cover others, to protect others, to carry the burden for others, and it doesn't break. Hmm. Not only does love bear all things, it believes all things. That means love is willing to look for the best. That means it's not suspicious. It doesn't mean that we are blind to evil, but what it does mean is that we look and hope for good. Christian love realizes God's not done, amen? And in the most hopeless case from a human standpoint, there is still hope. Why? Because God is still on the throne. And so it believes all things. It hopes all things. It never gives up on anyone. It endures all things. That word endure, it's like a military word. It means, refers to a military guard who stands at his post. He is always where he's supposed to be. Always doing what he's supposed to do. Like a military guard. Always there and always ready. Love endures all things. Meaning that love does what it always does. The durability of Christian love, it bears all things, meaning Christian love doesn't break. It believes all things, meaning it doesn't doubt. It hopes all things, meaning it doesn't despair. It endures all things, meaning it doesn't quit. I love how 1 Corinthians 13, 8, the very next verse begins. It, means, it says, charity never faileth. Isn't this how God loves us? Isn't this how God loves us? I'm going to tell you, this is not only how God loves us, this is how God wants to love through us. I'm going to tell you, we come to these passages, and man, these passages about love and what love is, it's all warm and fuzzy until you really start digging in, and then you realize, whew, I'm not, I'm not as loving as I thought I was. I'm not as loving as I should be. <clears throat> and I'm convicted because I realize that even the most fabulous, fantabulous, stupendous of whatever, minus love, is nothing. And so I want a church that's filled with Christian love. I want a marriage that's filled with Christian love. I want a home that's filled with Christian love. I want a community that's filled with Christian love. I'm going to tell you, the world is asking, where's the love? Do you know what? By God's grace and for God's glory, let's let them find it here. Let's let them see it in our homes. Let's, let's let them see it in our families. Let's let them see it. And not just how we feel, but how we function. And here's the thing. You say, preacher, I don't know if I can do that. That's good, because I don't know if I can do it either. Like, that's a lot of really hard things, right? 
Like patience. Like I get caught up on that first one. Patience. Oh, patience. Ah, I'm not real good at it. I don't think I can do it. But here's the cool thing. Love is not something that we have to manufacture on our own. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the Bible depicts what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Or that which the Spirit of God wants to produce through us. You know the first thing on that list? Put it up there, Liz. Galatians 5 and verse 22. You can probably guess it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. We'll try it again. We'll get the answer key up there and we'll all do it together, all right? We're almost there. Stay with me. The fruit. Oh, oh, there we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know what that means? That means, yes, I get really discouraged when I look at my life and go, well, I'm not patient like I should be. And boy, I'm not kind like I should be. I, whose life is easier because I'm around? I don't know. And uh, well, to be honest, sometimes I'm kind of rude and I like to remember what bad things people did against me. And, and to be honest, I kind of like when I'm recognized. And yeah, I'm not real good at this love thing. And I don't, how am I going to do this? I, and I get real discouraged and I get despaired. And well, I guess it's all, no, 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 no. Because it's not on us, amen? I don't have to find a way to produce this. Do you know what I need to do? I simply need to humble myself to the Spirit of God and say, Holy Spirit, will you do this through me? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you through me help to fill my church with love? Holy Spirit, through me, will you help fill my marriage with love? By the way, whether or not your spouse participates The Holy Spirit still wants to use you to fill your marriage with love. It's not dependent on them at that point. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100%-100%. Holy Spirit, will will you work in me to fill my marriage with love? Fill my home with love. Fill my community with love. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Love doesn't fail, and neither does God. So we are asking the one who cannot fail to produce in and through us that which cannot fail. And so as the world around us goes, hey, where's the love? Let's be a place so full of it that they can't miss it.